Now this morning I'm continuing in my series on spiritual giftedness in the kingdom of God. That's the overall title that covers these four messages from Ephesians chapter 4. And the message today is entitled, Live Your Calling. Live Your Calling. Let's read the relevant verses, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. I'd like to read that verse 7 again, this time from the New King James Version. I've just been reading from the NLT. This is the New King James. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's a foundation scripture in this passage. It's reminding us that God has called every single believer and God has gifted every single one of us with a special gift that coincides with our calling. Last week we saw that as we exercise that gift, God's kingdom comes. It really is that simple. When we flow with the gift and the calling God has given us and step out in faith and exercise that gift, something happens. God's kingdom comes. And it's all about God's grace that produces these levels of giftedness. Today, I want you to understand this principle. This is a principle that we're going to take home with you, and the cell leaders are going to be discussing this with you in your cell groups. And by the way, if you're in a cell group, and your cell leader is one of those cell leaders that hasn't downloaded this, Remind them gently and in love. Okay, because I want you all to get it. Here's what you're going to be thinking about. Your gift flows from your identity in Christ. Your gift flows from your identity in Christ. In other words, when you are flowing with your calling... When you are living out your calling and exercising your gift, you are never more true to who you really are. I like that. Because we have this idea that God will use us only when we're uncomfortable. In other words, make us do things we don't really want to do and don't really feel equipped to do. No, God, God isn't like that. He has given us a gift which is so much part of us that when we flow in that gift, we are being exactly who we are. Not just who God called us to be, but who we really are. Gifting reduces so many complications in life and, and releases so much from God. 
Uh, in Revival Times, there's a, there's a story, pages 16 through 18, of a school in Ghana. I don't know if you read the story. Read it afterwards if you haven't. And that school came about through the exercise of a spiritual gift. And I recall it well. It's about 10 years ago in a men's meeting, leading the men's meeting. I felt impressed that there was somebody present whom God was calling to start a, a school, a Christian school. And I had to stress it two or three times till somebody finally said, you know, yes, that is me, me and my wife, we want to do that. And then from then onwards, they began to work hard. In fact, they'd, they'd had a, a plot of land in Kumasi in Ghana, and they didn't quite know what to do with it. And this was seen very much in line with what God was saying. So they began to save money and... Uh, uh, the, the man who worked for Green Tomatoes, uh, that's a, a driving company, a, a taxi company. And in fact, in 2014, he won award Professional Driver of the Year. And that's a double miracle because throughout those 10 years from uh, 2005 to 2015, we find him working so hard, 18 hours a day, seven days a week, so he could raise enough money through his work in Green Tomatoes and all the fundraising and send it back to Ghana. And now, how wonderful, 15 years later, there's the school, 624 pupils. It's called KT School, which is standing for Kensington Trust, not Kensington Temple, but it's still KT School. And uh, it's, it takes children from the age of 12 right through to, through to the age of 15. And uh, there are uh, 52 staff and uh, three school buses. And, and not, not just that. What has happened over these years is that the community has begun to grow around the Christian school. So the school is at the heart of a new community where there are businesses and homes being built. And you see, the kingdom of God coming because somebody responded to a word and somebody sowed into the seed are uh, sowed into the ground there in, in um, Ghana, the seed of the kingdom of God. And uh, now whether it's building schools or moving in prophetic gifting, whatever the gift is, you have a calling from God. That's what verse 1 says. Paul says, a prisoner of the Lord serving the Lord, he says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And I really feel that Paul pauses to emphasize this so, so it will sink in. So let's pause and say it again. You have been called by God. And we can understand when Paul says, I've been called by God. I mean, he is this great big apostolic leader, the great missionary to the Gentiles, the great founding father of the New Testament revelation and so on and so on. But Paul says, it's not just me or people like me. It's every believer. You have been called by God. You have a spiritual calling. In other words, God has called you. Now, when I say spiritual calling, I don't mean that it is irrelevant to your daily life. So here on Sunday, we have a, a day of being spiritual, and Colin Dye is preaching. He has a spiritual calling, and 
tomorrow you're going to go to work and that's no longer spiritual, that's a secular calling and I just come to get a shot in the arm so I can get out there and see if I can manage to survive another week in the real world. That's not how God calls us to live. Do you know that there, every calling is a holy calling? Did you know that? Every calling is a holy calling. And God's purpose in pouring into your life today is to equip you so that you would move in your daily work in the same energy and power of the Holy Spirit that you're experiencing here in this place. Amen and amen. Amen. That's why Paul says, walk worthy of the calling you have received. Now, I want to just throw a little hint in here because Paul is saying, I am a prisoner for the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, I know my circumstances are not particularly comfortable at the moment, but you know what? It doesn't matter. My gift is still working. Whatever circumstance you're in, your gift will still operate. It is independent of your circumstances. A lot of people say, well, I've got to wait until ideal circumstances before I do anything for Jesus. No, just learn to be who you are and the gift will flow out of you. And Paul says, you know, in fact, really, Paul, I believe that this, this pri- imprisonment was, was a God-given opportunity for Paul to catch up on his correspondence. <laughs> in other words, Paul says, I'm going to use every opportunity I have to serve God. And Paul did some of his finest work from prison, including this letter of Ephesians, which is the foundation document for the Christian church, the church of Jesus Christ. So he says, now you have a calling. Live up to it. Live your calling. Don't just leave it hanging. Live it. Because this calling that you have is honorable and it's wonderful and it will connect you with who you are. God's calling is all about connections, by the way. Not only does the call connect with who you are, the call enables you to connect with one another. That's what what Paul goes on to say. Um, if, you, if you sometimes, when you're reading the scripture, ask yourself some questions. Paul, in chapter 4, verse 1, talks about everybody being called by God and live out your calling, how wonderful it is. And then he starts throwing in all this relational stuff. Did you notice it? You've been called by God. Therefore, always be humble and gentle. He's not just going around saying... Oh, I've got an amazing call from God, but oh, I owe it all to Jesus. He's not just talking about being humble in relation to your gift. He's saying, be humble and gentle in your relationships. All these verses, verse 2 right the way through to verse end of verse 6, are relational. We've got to get to grips with this because our relationship with God establishes the principle of relationship with one another. And the gift that God has given you will not find fulfillment apart from your relationships within the body of Christ. 
That's a very strong principle. And when I state it, I realize I'm tearing down strongholds, cultural strongholds in the minds of many people. Because we are brought up with a Western form of individualism where we think everything revolves around us and we've lost our sense of community. But God wants to restore in these days a sense of community because the only hope for the world is to show them the community of the kingdom of God, that's us and others like us. So Paul says, your gift and your calling will never operate outside or apart from the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ is not the only place where your gift operates. Now, that's very, very important. We're coming to that in a moment. Let me put it to you like this. Paul, in describing relationships, gives us the key to interpret it all. He says there is only one body, of course, one God, one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism, but one body. That's the body of Christ. That's you and me joined together. Now, when we serve one another and build one another up, and grow in love and maturity, something is happening not just to us individually, but something is happening to us together as a community. As a community, we become strong. And and the body of Christ begins to grow and mature. And when we reach that place where the body is strong, then and only then can we operate in the world the way God has called us to operate. And that includes your gifting. Your gift, which arises out from who you are, you experience it and develop it, connected to one another in the body of Christ, so that you can be prepared to represent Jesus out there in the world. The connections that we have with one another are absolutely crucial to the development of our lives as individuals, and crucial to the development of the community that we belong to. Praise God for that. Now, we're going to see as this series progresses that the meeting place is the learning place for the marketplace. I'm quoting a good spirit-filled bishop, David Pitchers, in the 1980s made that statement, stuck with me. So what that means is, first of all, we get together and we grow together. We learn to relate to one another. We grow in holiness. We learn to put up with one another in love. Amen. And we, we discover that the relational holiness that God gives us is first of all worked out and seen in our relationships within the body of Christ. But it doesn't end there because as we learn to love our neighbor, it's not just our Christian neighbor, it is also our non-Christian neighbor and our anti-Christian neighbor and our neighbors from hell uh, and so on. And and also, the key of love is always service. Always service. By love, serve one another. And when we learn to serve one another with our gifting in the body of Christ, we're developing a habit. We're developing a good habit. Because when we take that habit outside of the church and begin to demonstrate it in the world, we have a recipe for success. 
Do you know the world is longing for people who truly love and who truly serve? Hey, that's us. Amen. We are the lovers and servants of God and servants of one another. And so when we gather together, whether it's the small groups in the cells or in the larger assemblies and we gather and celebrate, it's all about building up one another in love and exercising our gift. Now, at the moment, the person who's getting most pleasure out of exercising gift is me because this is how it's set up in these large services. But in the smaller groups, you discover who you really are. We're going to be looking at some of the categories of how you can understand who you really are and what gifts God has given to you and how you can begin to use them in the body of Christ and all the more so outside the body of Christ. That's coming in this series. But right now I want you to understand how amazing the body of Christ really is. You know the body of Christ has the capacity to build itself up and grow just like your body can grow Sometimes our bodies grow in the wrong direction, but still we have a capacity to grow and to mature and to remain healthy so that the body of Christ can be God's agent in the world. You know, my body is my agent in the world. Your body is your agent in the world. This is how we live. If I want to go from A to B, call this A, call that B, I've got to take my body with me. Look pretty spooky if I jumped out of my body and arrived at point B. No, no, me and my body is connected, you and your body is connected. And so Jesus is connected with his body, that's how he works in the world. If he wants to go to Africa, he's got to go through us. If he wants to do a job, he's got to do it through us. He's tied to his body, he's the head, we're his body. So we're giving him a body. And this body can grow and mature. And uh, it, it's like the amazing starfish. Do you know how amazing starfish are? Don't try this at home, ladies and gentlemen. But I have it on good authority. But if you cut a starfish leg off, or is it a starfish arm? Arms and legs look very much the same. They're just starfish. <laughs> but you cut one off, that leg will have a capacity to grow into another whole starfish. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. This is the amazing reproductive replicatory power of a, a leg of a starfish. And the body of Christ is even far more glorious. We are there to build one another up, to multiply, to, re to reproduce. Don't ever be simply be content with being who you are on your own. Make another one like you. Amen and amen. amen. This is about multiplication. Make disciples of all nations, Jesus says. Replicate many disciples, disciples to follow me. And, and, and in your cell, don't just be content to have one cell. In 1925, I had one cell. In 1975, I had one cell, and in 2015, I had one cell. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the body of Christ is meant to grow, to reproduce itself. And so, as we exercise our gifts, the amazing thing happens. We begin to reproduce church. And this is not just in traditional terms, like a building, a vicar, a parish, an organ, and an organist, and somebody to take the offering, and what you have, you have church. No, not necessarily. 
You have church where two or three are gathered, serving one another, discovering one another's gifts and practicing on one another and loving one another and serving one another and building one another up. And when you get hooked into this, you will discover something about your gift. It is so part of you that you never feel more like you than when you are doing what God has called you to do. Do you get it? In other words, we call this the motivational gifting. It means that God has put it in you, he's made it part of you, and you will never fully discover how free and how fulfilled you can be until you discover your motivational gift and begin to exercise it. In fact, you were born with it. Did you know that? Now, I know I'm talking about spiritual gifts, and I'm getting to that, but you were born with it. Good example is Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 says, God says, Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. That's interesting. Before Jeremiah was even made, God knew him, mean, meaning that God had a plan for him. And it was God who placed him in his mother's womb. It was God who formed him there, not just in the physical dimension of his being, but in the spiritual call on his life, because it says, before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. And what is true of Jeremiah is true of every single one of us. When God created us in our mother's womb, he did so with a purpose and he made us in exactly the way he wanted us to be to fulfill that purpose with all the gifts and talents necessary to fulfill God's plan for our lives on planet Earth. Now, of course, what happened pretty well straight after that is that we turned away from God. You don't need to tell a baby, teach a baby to say no. I mean, you know, in sin did a mother conceive me and, and we have this sinful nature from birth and when we're separated from birth, we're, we're infected by this anti-God virus that has to be treated by the blood of Jesus. And we know that for most of our lives so we came to Christ, we had this kind of understanding that we were made for something better than what we were living, but we were addicted to doing it our own way until we met Jesus. And Jesus says, I've made you for something better than this, and here it is. And in the recreation moment where God saved us and joined us to himself, he put us into the church, the body of Christ, gave us his spirit to energize us and to creatively shape us according to his calling so that we can say, the God who separated us to serve him from our mother's womb is the God who has restored us and restored God's plan for our lives when we came to Christ. And this means that the gift that God has given you is so in you of course, it takes the Holy Spirit to bring it out and it takes one another to develop it, but it's there. And when you exercise it, you are never more truly who you are than when you do what God has called you to do. Don't forget the spiritual principle is this. Your gift flows from your identity in Christ. And that's very important. Because I think today, identity is a key issue. As I look around the body of Christ and see many Christians, believers, individuals, churches, and ministries, 
I find many people have lost their Christian identity. Maybe it's because we've kind of rested on our laurels thinking that we live in a kind of Christian country and it's okay. We can just go with the flow. But we find that our country isn't quite so Christian after all. What I quoted a little bit earlier, which is happening in our country today, more and more kids are receiving treatment, even as young as 10 years of age, because of gender confusion, and not just confusion. They say, well, you know, I'm going to choose my own gender. And and this 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 is this is appalling. Not not gentlemen, ladies. There isn't real issues here, and we must understand and be compassionate. But you know, my Bible still says God made them male and female. Yes, He did. This this is a this is a God thing. And, and and don't think it's just somebody holding up a big black Bible and 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 ranting about this. This is actually biological reality. X X X Y. Yes. So this isn't just a Bible bashing thing. This is a biological reality. But people are messing with people's sexual identity and their gender today. And if you go and understand who the kind of people are doing this and what, 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 the, what they're trying to do, it's about destroying any possible trace of Christian truth and Christian values from our society. That's what it's all about. So we can't sit back and say, oh, the government will take care of our Christian identity. No, it will not. We have to rediscover who we are. We've got to go back to some of those early experiences, the experience of some of those early Christians. I came across a story of the Sillerton Martyrs. You may never have heard of them. You may never have heard of them, but it's an amazing story. In fact, this is reported in some of the earliest Christian writings dating to A.D. 180, second century, Marcus Aurelius, who was the Roman emperor at that point or just shortly before that, was a wave of persecution. Early Christians could be persecuted for a number of reasons. There was religious jealousy. There was people's trade was, was interfered with when Christians preached and people abandoned their idols and the silversmiths and idol makers lost their jobs. There was also a growing interest in the cult of the Roman emperor. The Roman emperor needed a way of pulling everybody together and making sure everybody was loyal. So it was a kind of religious cult developed around the emperor, encouraged by the imperial people And you had to swear by the genius of the emperor and even sacrifice to the emperor. The emperor required some form of worship that belonged to God alone. Now Jesus was addressing this when he took that denarius coin and said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, the correct tax, but give to God what is due to God only, divine honors. Divine honor to God only. Secular honor, civil honor to our our rulers. Of course, yes, of course, obedient citizens. But Jesus knew that the cult of the Roman emperor was coming, and this was a major reason why many Christians were persecuted, because they simply could not sacrifice and worship a man. They could not sacrifice to a man and worship a man. Now, here's one of those early examples. 
And there in this place, Scylla, or Cilium, which was in North Africa, in modern Tunisia, they were actually tried and convicted and condemned in Carthage, was also in modern Tunisia. And there was a rather decent-minded Roman proconsul who was in charge of that area, Saturninus, Saturninus, and uh, he was not cruel, he's not even criticized in the Christian writings, he's kind of doing his duty, but he is baffled. He says, why, what's the matter with your people? You're not rebellious, you must be just stupid. All you have to do is say, I swear by the genius of the emperor, all you have to do is just give the simple sacrifice and you'll go free. And Speritus, one of the people, in fact, there were seven men, five women, who were put to the sword in that wave of persecution. Speritus speaks for them all, and he says, we do not recognize the empire of this world, but rather we serve that God whom no eye has seen, nor can see. It's recorded that he was clutching a bag of Scrolls and, the, uh, and when he's asked, what are you holding? So these are the letters of the great man of God, Paul. So here he has the scriptures saying, I will live by the scriptures. These scriptures tell us of another world, a world that you cannot see, a world that you cannot touch, but an empire that is coming that is going to swallow up every other empire because Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar. Powerful. But then the, the questioning passed on to the women. Five women, two of them, Vestia, another one, Secunda. Vestia said, I can't do this. I'm a Christian. End of story. Wow. Being a Christian in those days meant that you belonged to another world. You had a different identity. You were stamped, you were marked by the God of heaven. And you could not compromise with the things of this visible world. And then Secunda, this is what she said. Vestia said, I'm a Christian. Secunda said, I just want to be what I am. Martyrdom was a matter of identity. I'm a Christian. I don't bow to worship idols. I'm a Christian. I don't surrender to the imperial principles where those principles cut across my allegiance to my king. And out of their identity, their strong identity, they gladly gave their lives. The Roman proconsul said, I'll give you 30 days to think about it. Speritus replied, in matters so simple, there's no need for time to think. It's done. They were all condemned, died. Here's a depiction of the kind of scenes from that period. And when that was pronounced, they said, glory be to God. Thanks be to God. They were allowed to be who they were. This world doesn't want you to be who you are. We've got to recover that strong sense of identity because it's the same principle. You say, well, cheerful Charlie, Colin, it's all about martyrdom. Is that what it's about? Well, it could be for some. 
Don't worry about that. The grace will, will be there when, if and when it's necessary. But for all of us, whether we die or whether we live, it's all for Jesus. And actually, dying for Jesus and living for Jesus, two sides of the same coin. And when you just say, I'm taking my identity from who I am in Christ. I'm accepting that I'm linked to the body of Christ. And, and I am, I'm going to simply be who I am. I'm going to line up with God's plan for my life because that's who I am. I'm going to take up my cross and die to the old me. The old me is not the real me. The real me, the true me, is the me that Jesus has made. And I'm going to begin to exercise my ministry by building up the body of Christ, serving my brothers and sisters, helping them grow, equipping them to be everything that God has called them to be. And when I have learned a thing or two, I'm going to take that out into the world and show them the kingdom of God because I've learned it in the family of God. That is how the Holy Spirit uses us to bring God's kingdom. And all flows from our identity as Christians. People who belong to the kingdom of God and as brothers and sisters in the family of God, learning and showing Jesus to the world. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I feel it's so important that I challenge you today. Are you in the kingdom? I'm not saying, are you ready to die for Jesus? That's another question. I'm saying, do you even know him? And I'm going to lead in a prayer. I want everybody to pray it after me. But in the end, I'm going to ask people who prayed that prayer for the first time to lift their hands and we're going to give you something here today. Here's the prayer. It's a prayer that you can pray to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Everybody pray it after me loud and strong. Are you ready? Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, pray it stronger than that. I come to you now and I confess that you are Lord. And I desire that you become Lord of my life. I surrender to you. Help me to be a new person. Not by my effort, but by your spiritual power living in me. Therefore, I believe you died for my sins. You're raised again from the dead. And that you are now my Savior. Amen.